Thank you, Pastor Jamal, and good morning, everybody. I'm excited to be sharing from God's Word this morning, and yes, I've been loving this I'm In series, talking about these different ideas, the first week being, I'm invited. I'm invited. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I've been invited into the family of God. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. I'm glad that all of us have been invited no matter who we are. And last week talking about how I'm invaluable, that all of us have value when it comes to uh, God views all of us with value and even to each other. We're invaluable to one another. And I love that illustration Pastor Jeff opened with with the $10 bill. No matter what, we don't lose our value to God and to each other. And so this week we're talking about how I'm influential, and next, next week we're talking about how I'm invested. And so this week, I'm influential. Uh, you may not know this, but the reason Pastor Jeff asked me to speak on this subject is because I'm a bit of an authority on uh, being an influence. I have a following online. You don't know about this, but some people uh, may know that I, uh, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, okay? So it's kind of a nerdy thing, I guess. I just, I've always loved Lord of the Rings. And a few months back, I was watching the movies by myself. It was like day off, just enjoying myself. And I made some lambus bread, it's called. It's something in the movie. It's like something you can eat. It's a cake. I'll show you a picture. It was, it was really good. So I just took a picture of the lambus bread and the movie, and I sent it to a couple of my friends. I was like, yo, guys, Lord of the Rings and lambus bread, and posted it online. And uh, I got, it got a little traffic. So maybe like a month or two later, some of you guys know Abby Schley. She tags me on Facebook, and she's like, Pastor Matt, is this your photo? And I check, and lo and behold, it's on a Lord of the Rings Facebook fan page with over 30,000 likes, thousands of shares, thousands of comments. I'm like, whoa, like, I'm an influencer. I'm so important. So, you know, if uh, you want to know how to be influential, see me after service. I'll be in the back. Five easy payments of $9.99, and I will help you have an online following. So, no, you know, that is true. That whole story is true. But, you know, the truth is that we're talking about that I'm influential. All of us are influential. All of us are influential. It's not just about how many likes you get on a photo or how big of a following that you can amass online. Every single decision you make is influential. And here's how I know that. How many parents are in the room? You're a parent. Yeah, it doesn't matter how old your kids are. How many of you can just decide that, you know what, I think today I want most of my decisions to influence my kid, but I think tomorrow I'm going to take off. I don't want any of my decisions to influence my child. It doesn't work that way. I was talking to one of my my best friend this week, and he's like, his son is five years old, and his son goes, the resolution on this TV is garbage. (laughs) And his dad's like, where did you hear that? And he's like, from you, daddy. (laughs) That's right. Right? Every decision we make is influential. Even if you think, well, I'm not that much of an influence. I'm just kind of in the back and, you know, I don't, whatever. Everything you do. If you're a student at youth group and you go to youth group and you, you've got your headphones on and you're just looking at your phone, you're like, I'm not influencing anybody. You are. You're influencing the culture And what it's like, the atmosphere at Novation Youth, everything you do is influential, and you can't just turn off your influence. What you post on social media, what you say, how you say it, how you carry yourself, all of those things are influential. 
But Jesus calls us to use our influence for the gospel. He calls us to use our influence for the gospel. The most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus says to be salt and to be light. Jesus is a master communicator, and the metaphors that he uses, I mean, there's so much we could pull out, but the obvious meaning is that we're to be an influence to those around us, that we are to make a difference in the world that we are living in. Just like salt enhances the flavor, it makes things better when you put salt on, or light, it shines in the darkness, it's unmistakable, and you're attracted to it. That's what Christians are supposed to be like. So Jesus says to use our influence for the gospel. But culture says that influence is about platform and perfection. Right? If you want to be an influence, you need a platform and you need perfection. You need a platform. Well, first of all, how can you be an influence if you don't have a following? Right? You need to have enough people behind you that when you speak, they listen. You need a following or you need a microphone, you need a stage, you need a platform so people can hear you, so you're an influencer. You need charisma, personality, and charm, because if you don't have those things, you're not going to be an influence. And you need perfection. I was talking to to Ryan this week, we were talking about, he's got a nonprofit organization, and he's like, you know, I need to work on promoting it more, so you got a TikTok finally, and TikTok social media platform for uh, huge for people under 25. It's kind of like the number one. And so he's like, dude, I made like a 25 second video, but it took me three hours to make. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. Because like when we make videos at church, same thing, it's one minute or something, but it takes hours, even if it seems like really laid back and raw and unprofessional, it, it takes a lot of work to make that happen. You got, you got a plan and you need to set up the lighting, and then you do multiple takes. Wait, I messed up. Can we do it again? And then you got to edit it. And so all this, you've got to be perfect if you want to be an influencer. And not only that, you need perfection to maintain your influence. Because the way it works today is that if you did or said something five or ten years ago that wouldn't be okay today, as a society, we cancel you. That's what cancel culture is. We decide we're going to cancel your influence. We're going to pretend you never existed. You never had a voice. We're going to take away your influence, take away your platform. And so if you want to be an influence, you need platform and perfection. You've got to maintain and curate yourself online to make a difference. Now, the thing is that not all of us have these things. Not all of us necessarily have a platform. Not everybody here is perfect. A couple of you maybe, but you know, most of us are not perfect. That was a joke. Nobody in the room is perfect. I just want to make that clear. Nobody's perfect. So how are we going to be an influence for Jesus? How are we going to use our 
our influence for the gospel. Well, what we're going to read today, Jesus is going to show us that gospel influence looks a little different. These things are important, and these things do help us become influential, but Jesus is going to show us how gospel influence is a little different. And so we're in John chapter 4 today. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. Some verses will be on the screen. This is a famous story in the Bible. You may be familiar with it already. And in the Gospel of John, the author, he zooms in on these conversations, these one-on-one conversations that Jesus has with people. And so we can really get a sense of what Jesus is like and how people respond to him. In the beginning of the book, John tells you what he wants you to do. He wants you to understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He told you that's like the thesis in the beginning, but now you see it played out in these conversations and how people respond to Jesus. And so even in the chapter before, chapter 3, it's completely different how chapter, than how chapter 4 goes on. In chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious Pharisee, a Jewish man who comes to see Jesus and he has a spiritual question about who Jesus is and then they have a conversation about it. And so in John chapter 4, the next chapter that we're going to read today, this person is the exact opposite from Nicodemus, not like him at all. Nicodemus is a, again, a respected Jewish Pharisee who comes to seek Jesus. This person that Jesus is going to come in contact with, they didn't come to see Jesus. Jesus went to this person. And they're not Jewish, they're Samaritan. And if you've been in church or you have studied your Bible a little bit, you know that Samaritans and Jewish people at that time did not get along. For our uh, purposes, you know, Samaritan is basically like, almost like a half-breed, a half-Jewish and a half-Gentile person. And so they had disagreements about you know, uh, how to worship, what scriptures were holy, and different things like that. Jewish people actually said, you know what, if you're a Samaritan, you're ceremonially unclean. You can't even come into the temple to worship. Like, if it was today, it'd be like saying, if you're a Samaritan, you're not even allowed to be in the church building. We will escort you out if you come in. That's what it was like. That's the type of disdain that they had for one another, Jewish people and Samaritans. But not only that, the person Jesus talks to is a woman. And there's already, there's layers as to how men and women did not talk in public, especially at a well. I mean, if you just take the Old Testament, just take the Bible, what we have, uh, men meet, uh, go to uh, the well and they meet their wives like multiple times in the Old Testament. It's like a thing. So if you're single and you need somebody, try to find a well and maybe you'll find, you know, you'll find somebody because it's in the Bible like a bunch of times. And so Jesus is going to a well with this woman and she's the only one there. So there's like a few layers as to like Jesus is crossing some lines. But not only that, she's not just a Samaritan. She's not just a Samaritan woman, but she's a Samaritan woman with a bad reputation. This isn't the sort of person you're supposed to hang around. But we see Jesus illustrate gospel influence for us. Jesus shows us that gospel influence is about people before platform. If you want to use your influence for the gospel, Jesus shows us that it's about people before platform. 
If you go to the beginning of the verse in John 4, verse 4, it says that he had to go through Samaria on the way. Jesus was going back to Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So if you're familiar with this, if you ever studied it before, maybe you heard a sermon, he didn't have to go this way. It was the fastest way to go, but for especially pious Jews who, again, they don't like Samaritans, they didn't like them so much that most of the time you went around Samaria if you had to go that way. If you were really religious, if you were really righteous, that's what you did. You wouldn't even go there. It's that part of town that you're supposed to stay away from. You know, people would talk about it if, well, what are they doing there? Well, why doesn't, don't they go to church? Well, isn't that the pastor? Why are they going there? And that's, what, that's how Jewish people felt about Samaria. So Jesus didn't have to go this way, but John tells us he had to go this way. Why? Because there was a divine appointment that Jesus had with this woman that day. It's because Jesus cared more about this person than he did about the platform. This person would not give Jesus any brownie points. This person had no platform to give Jesus. There's no picture you could take of him talking at the woman at the well, and all of a sudden he's on the cover of a magazine saying, what a hero. That's not how this would work for Jesus. But he cares more about people than the platform. God cares about people who are far from him. That is what's important to God. That is what's close to God's heart. People who are far from God. If you're in the room today or you're watching online and you feel far from God, you are on God's heart. You are who God cares about. God cares about those who are far from him. And Jesus shows us that. It's about people before platform. You know, I know people, there are so many people that love the platform more than they love people. I've talked to guys who, you know, they feel called to ministry, and, and I don't doubt that. But I'll say, hey, well, what are you doing? How are you involved in your local church? Or, are you, you know, did you invite someone to church? How are you, how are you making a difference? And they're kind of like, well, I don't know. I'm really busy. I haven't had a chance. i got to finish my degree. I'm like, but are you making a difference? Like, you're telling me you're called to ministry. You know, I have friends that... They love to do Zoom and Skype calls or, or, or different things. They get together and they talk about theology and they talk about things the church is doing wrong and they're actually correct in what they're talking about, but they're ignoring the people right in front of them because it's more about the platform than it is about people. This world will tell you that you can't actually be influential until you have a platform, that you need a microphone to make a difference that you need uh, to be a brand ambassador on social media to make a difference, that you need to have a master's degree before you can make a difference, that you've got to have your life all together before you can make a difference. But Jesus shows us it's people before platform. I love what Pastor Jamal has said. It has stuck with me that platforms only elevate who you already are. And so it's people before platforms. And that's what I love about the people who serve at our church. Our kids workers, they get that it's people before platform. You didn't get a platform for being a kids worker on a Sunday morning. You're just working hard and you're investing in the people in kids church. That's, that you, they understand. If you're a youth leader, you get that it's people before platform. You're, you're not a youth leader because you get brownie points or you know, whatever. You're there for people. And that's what I love about our life group leaders as well. They understand this. They get this. That it's about people before the platform. 
Yeah, I thought that video came out great, and all those guys did a great job. A huge shout-out to them. And it's funny, though, because I'm like, hey, guys, I want to make a video. Or I'll say, you know, I, I, hey, I want to have all the life group leaders come up front. Or can you share a testimony from the stage? And most of the time, people are like, really? Like, does it have to be me? Like, I don't want to be up there. And it's because they are more passionate about the people in their group than they are about having a platform. And that's the heart of Jesus. If you want to influence somebody for the gospel, it's about people. Who has God placed in front of you? Who has God placed in front of you? Maybe you've been waiting to be an influence because you say, well, I don't have a platform yet. Well, I'm not perfect yet. What have you been waiting for? Who has God placed in front of you to be an influence for? But the story continues, right, Jesus, so he comes to Samaria, uh, Samaria, and he takes a seat at the well, says he sits down to rest, and he asks the woman for a drink, please give me a drink. And in verse 9, it says, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. We already talked about that. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus dignifies this woman by simply having a conversation with her. He values her just by talking with her. And she says, I want this living water. I want what you have to offer. Man, I'm so glad that I have the living water that comes from Jesus. How about you? I'm so glad that I don't have to do it in this life alone. But Jesus shows us gospel influence is about people and it's about potential. Jesus shows us that it's about potential over problems. If people saw this woman, if people saw this conversation, people would have looked at this person and said, this person is a problem. This woman is a problem. She's got a bad reputation. She's at the well by herself, most likely at the hottest time of the day, because she's trying to avoid contact with other people, because she doesn't want to be around other people. Maybe other people don't want to be around her. They're going to talk about her. This is the woman that you don't want your husband to hang around. That's the type of person this is. Well, you see what she's wearing? Well, you see how she's talking to him? Look, Jesus even knows this about her. Here's what he says in the following uh, verses in verse 16. He says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. She knows, but you were able to, you knew about me, you knew about my life situation. Jesus calls out her sin. You're not living the right way. And it is interesting, her response back to him. She says, I don't have a husband. You know, it could be that she's just trying to shut down the conversation, like, I don't want to go there. You know, a lot of times it's how we can be, right? Jesus calls you on your sin, and I don't want to go there. I don't have a husband, is what she says. But it could also actually be her flirting back with Jesus. It could be her saying, yeah, I'm available. Like, hey, why don't you get your husband? Actually, uh, you know, I don't have a husband. She's telling him he's available. That's where this woman is had. That's a problem. She's an immoral woman, but Jesus looks at her and knows 
that she's a miracle waiting to happen. Jesus doesn't look at her like she's a problem. Jesus sees the potential that's in her life. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that Jesus looked at me with my potential instead of viewing me like a problem. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't look at me and say, Matt's too sinful for me to use. You know, Matt's too sinful. I'm going to get somebody else who has their life more together. I'm so glad that Jesus looked at me with potential. How about you? I'm excited that Jesus sees our potential instead of seeing us as a problem. At, uh, at the church that I was previously at, I was a youth pastor at Searchlight Church, we had a, a phrase called the mega debrief, and I was the one that coined it. Uh, as I started there when I was in college, and I obviously did not have any experience <clears throat> in youth ministry at the time, so we did our, it was our second youth service ever, and the whole staff was there. They're, they would help me in the beginning because I'm figuring it out. They helped me set up. And, you know, so we had the youth service. We had a couple kids come. It really wasn't that great. And uh, the pastor let me know it wasn't that great. <laughs> Afterwards, we're in the car. He drives me to his house, and we're in the car for like two hours. And he's telling me all this stuff that, you know, could have been better. You know, Matt, when this happens, you got to respond like this. And Matt, you know, you didn't think about this. And Matt, are you doing this? And he, he really, like, laid it out for me, all these things I wasn't doing right. And there were times where he spoke like that to me, and it was hard. It was hard for me to, like, hear that and to accept that. But the thing is, he didn't view me like a problem. He saw the potential in me. If he thought that I was a problem, he probably would have just fired me after that second youth service, because honestly, it was kind of horrible. But he didn't look at me like a problem. He looked at me like Jesus with gospel influence and saw the potential inside of me. How about you? Who do you view like a problem in your life? Who's the person that you say, well, if they just, you know, could get it together, but once they can move on, who do you view like a problem and how does Jesus want it? you to view their potential. What kind of potential does God see in them? Jesus wants you to use your influence for the gospel. And so Jesus shows us it's about potential before problems. And here's what else Jesus shows us. Gospel influence is about purpose over perfection. Gospel influence is about purpose over perfection. And so the story continues and the woman, she, she kind of connects the dots and realizes who Jesus is. You're a prophet. You spoke to, you know, you're a Jewish man, you're coming. She, they have this conversation about the Messiah. And wait, th- this is it. This is him. This is the Savior. So she goes around telling everybody. She's a Samaritan woman, and she understood. So she tells people, come meet a man. Come see a man who knew everything about me. And she's telling people about Jesus. <clears throat> Well, Jesus' disciples come back, and they see he's talking to a Samaritan. Uh, wait, hold on. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. Wait, wait, wait. He's talking to a Samaritan woman with, you know, she's kind of shady. Like, don't, you don't talk to people like that. And they're like, what are you doing? But they don't question it. They know Jesus is kind of on a mission. They say, All right, look, Rabbi, eat something. You're hungry. That's why you came to the well anyway. You know, we were going to get something for you. And Jesus, he responds spiritual. What is Jesus' response? He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. If you have other translations, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. 
My food is to do the will of God. Jesus is talking about giving this woman purpose. He says that I'm the living water. That's where you'll have eternal life. That's where you'll have purpose and satisfaction in this life and in the life to come. But then he shares what motivates him. Jesus talks about what gives him purpose, and it's doing the will of God. It's focusing on what's close to God's heart. That's what gives him purpose. There are some of us in the room or possibly watching online that you're trying to discover what to do with your life. And I don't really care how old you are. Yeah, you may be a student or young adult that's pretty natural that you're trying to discover what's my purpose, you know, what's my calling. But honestly, every single age group, every walk of life, we can be asking those questions. When I say that you're an influence, you may find yourself a little apathetic. You're an influence. God is called, Jesus wants you to use your influence for the gospel. And you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess. But I don't know what to do with my life. I'm trying to figure out what comes next. I'm trying to figure out what career to choose. I'm trying to figure out how much money I can save up for retirement. I'm an influence, I guess if I get around to it, I don't know. But Jesus' example, I think, speaks to you. If you're in the room or you're listening today, Jesus, his example, speaks to where you're at. In another passage, Matthew 16, Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You will save it. You may think being an influence for God, you're not ready to do it. You're not, you don't know enough of the Bible. You don't know enough theology. I'm not charismatic. I don't have a platform. I'm not ready yet. But Jesus shows us it's about purpose over perfection. I'm telling you, if you live for the cause of the gospel, you will unlock the purpose that God has for your life. If you live for the cause of the gospel, you will unlock what the calling that God has in your life. It's not about changing careers necessarily. It's not about doing this or that. It's about where you are right now and living as an influence for the gospel. And I guarantee, I believe it in my bones, no matter what uh, stage of life you find yourself in. If you're asking, what am I doing? You're wandering around. You're a little apathetic. If you live for the cause of the gospel, you will find God's purpose for your life. I believe it. I'm preaching right now. Are you, are you getting this? Are you receiving this? Man, this is, this is how you will unlock God's purpose for your life when you live for the cause of the gospel. It's about living on mission where you are right now. Some of us in the room may be a little apathetic. Some of us in the room, you feel more ashamed of who you are. You say, man, I'd love to be an influence. Sure. Oh, Jesus, use the woman at the well. Great. But I just don't have it together yet. Man, I, I've just started coming back to church. I, I, you preach a good sermon. Sounds, seems like you've got a good background. My background, Matt, you don't, you don't know what I've gone through. God can't use somebody like me. You're ashamed of who you are or you're ashamed of who you are right now. You say, well, what I'm struggling with, what I'm going through now, I, I can't be an influence. I have to wait until I get through this. I have to wait until I get it all together. But that's not what we see in this story. Jesus in John 15 says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. 
I chose you to go and produce lasting fruit. That's what Jesus says about you, and that's what he says about me. And that's the truth. One of the amazing truths we can see, we can pull out from this passage, is that you don't have to have it all together to influence someone for Christ. Culture will tell you that you need to be perfect in order to be an influence, but Jesus shows us you don't have to have it all together. If you wait to have it all together, you'll never be an influence for Christ. Look how the story continues in verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well. She ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. The most unlikely person, the person no one thought would have any influence, she is the one that made a difference. Notice who God used. Not an Instagram star. Not a celebrity. Not somebody with a platform. Jesus used the most unlikely person, a woman whose name we don't even know. Somebody we don't even know. But she realized who Jesus was. She realized her need for him. Jesus called out her sin in order to be forgiven of our sins. We have to acknowledge that it's sinful. She didn't go around telling people, hey, I can, Jesus said, it's fine. You can sleep with whoever you want because the Savior's here. That's not what she said. She said, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. He knows who I am. He knows my sin. She came to realize her need for Jesus. She realized who he was, that she needs to know the Messiah and be forgiven of her sins. It says that she left the water pot. The reason she went there was for the water, but man, now she has experienced the living water that comes from Jesus. I am glad that I don't have to go it alone in this life, that I can have the living water that comes from Jesus in my life. You know, I was talking to somebody recently, somebody else at church, and look, you don't have to have it all together to influence somebody for Christ. They said they were having a conversation with a friend, and that person said to him, you know, with everything going on in the world, I don't know how you could believe in God. What would you say? I mean, call the pastor. Pastor, what would you say? Well, what's the Bible say when, when somebody says that to you? And I love what this person said because it was honest. This person is living in the same world as the rest of us. They're going through their own things, their own issues. And they said back to them, you know, with everything going on in the world, I don't know how people could make it without believing in God. I thought that, wasn't, that was an honest answer. You don't have to have it all together to be an influence for Christ. And here's why. Here's why. Because it's about Jesus, not about me. Gospel influence is about Jesus. It's not about me. I want to help you real quick. I've talked, there's a couple of us in the room. There's a few groups. Some of us may be a little apathetic, um, trying to find our calling. I'm telling you, hey, you live for the cause of the gospel. You'll unlock that. Some of us in the room, we feel ashamed. Hey, you don't have to have it all together. There's yet another group of us, and I'm going to use a word. Just look, all right, just stick with me. I'm going to step on your toes a little, but I would place myself in this category, so just go with me. Some of us in the room, when I talk about being an influence, there's apathetic, there's ashamed, and maybe there's a little bit of arrogance when it comes to that too. You know, that I say, hey, you're an influence for Christ, and you say, yeah, I know, yeah. You get a little too excited. 
I know I am, pastor. Trust me, every time, everywhere I go somewhere, they know that Jesus was there. Oh, I pray, I make a difference, and I know because some of you tell me this. So I'm not making it up. But look, I get it. I can be the same way. We, uh, a couple weeks ago, we did a young adults retreat. We went whitewater rafting. It was a blast. I never did that before. It was so much fun. But in the beginning, it was really hard because, like, I'm paddling and, you know, we're, at, we're trying to move. And, and eventually, they, they came over and they told us what to do, and that made all the difference. And we could maneuver and control the raft. But before then, it was really hard. And I had this thought. I'm, like, rafting. I'm paddling. I'm like, guys, we got to go this way. And it's like, if we don't move, we get stuck on a rock. I'm like... You know, if everybody in here was like me, if, if, if it was all just me on this paddle, then, then, then we, would, we, we would do it. <laughs> if everyone could just be like me, then we would we'd do it. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, no, that would not work at all. We would crash, okay? And then after crashing, we'd all freak out and have no idea what to do. It would not work at all. You know, that's a dangerous place to be. When you think that if everybody could be like me, then it'd be better. We're not called to make tiny disciples of ourselves. We're called to make disciples of Jesus. Gospel influence is about Jesus. Look, Jesus says this in this story. Oh, and I skipped, skipped ahead. Jesus says this in verse 13. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life, salvation, eternal life, purpose, satisfaction in this life come from Jesus. He gives us the living water. And man, like I said, I'm so glad that I can experience that living water that comes from Jesus. Like he says, you're supposed to be salt and light, right? You're supposed to be salt and light. You are the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine out so that all men will glorify the Father. Our good deeds are not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify Jesus, to have people respond to Jesus. Our actions and influence are to point people towards Jesus, and that's exactly what that woman did in this story. You have no idea how one moment can change someone's life. You have no idea how one moment, one conversation, one act of love can change someone's life. Here's how the story goes towards the end here. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. John's telling us who Jesus is, and it's interesting that the dirty, gross, rotten Samaritans they come to understand that Jesus is the Savior of the world. In chapter 3, Nicodemus, the respected religious teacher, we didn't see his response to Jesus right away. But in chapter 4, it's these people who get it. Who did God use? Not a celebrity, not somebody with a platform, not somebody who was perfect. 
a woman whose name we don't even know. You don't have to have it all together to influence someone for Jesus. I'm going to invite uh, Matt, if you, or you guys want to come up, give us a little music as we begin to close. I want to close with this. I want to ask you this. Who has God placed in front of you? Who has God placed in front of you? First job I ever had back in high school was uh, Old Navy, okay, and I don't, wouldn't recommend it. I didn't love it, okay. It was like a retail job, it was whatever. Didn't have a lot of fond memories, but it's what it was. It's my first job. I was 16. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so I started working there, and I was the only, I had a friend that was Christian who came to church, and then he quit, and so it was just me for a while. I was the only Christian there, and, you know, I didn't care. I was vocal about my faith. Uh, I didn't think I was in your face, but like sometimes I'd read a Bible in the break room just so I would start a conversation. Is that a Bible? Yeah, yeah, it is. You read that? Yeah, I do. And then start talking. And so over time, you know, I wanted to be an influence for the gospel while I was at my job. And so over time, I had spiritual conversations and I invited people to church. Several of uh, my managers and different people actually did come to church over the years, and it was really cool to see that happen. You don't have to have it all together. I was only 16, and I'm telling people, hey, why don't you come to church or something like that? I'm talking to all these people older than me. There was one mom in particular that I would speak to, and we had some conversations. Again, she's older than me. She's a mom. I'm 16, 17. And we would talk about Jesus, we'd talk about church, and she would say, yeah, well, you know, that's great for you, and, uh, you know, thanks for the invite. Uh, yeah, I used to go to church. It, I think it'd be nice for my kids, but, you know, it just, it's, it's busy, it's hard, and, you know, nothing came from that. And we were friends on Facebook, and, and I kept up, like, I saw what she was doing, but you have no idea how one moment, one conversation, one act of love could change someone's life. And so 12 years later, a global pandemic hits. It's called COVID-19. I don't know if you've heard of it. And we're all, what happens? We're all on lockdown. Everybody's stuck at home and businesses and churches all scramble to get online, to have a virtual presence, try to connect with people online, right? So a few months into the pandemic, sometime last year, I got a Facebook message from this mom that I used to work with. And I come to find out that when the pandemic hit, she is locked down like everybody else at her home, and she starts watching church online. Now, she didn't watch First Assembly. She didn't watch Freehold. She watched the church that I invited her to back when I was 16. She was watching for a few months, and she calls the church office one day and she says, look, you don't know me yet. I've been watching online. I've given my life to Jesus and I want to be baptized. You have no idea how one moment can change someone's life. And so that's my question for you. Who has God placed in front of you? Who has God placed in front of you? Jesus has called us to use our influence for the gospel. Don't wait until you have it all together. Don't wait until you have a platform because Jesus showed us it's about people over platform. Who is the person that God has placed in front of you? 
Who's the person that maybe you feel like is a problem? Because God looks at that person with their potential. That's who he is thinking about. And I'm telling you, if you live for the cause of the gospel, you will discover the purpose and the calling that God has on your life. Who has God placed in front of you? You don't have to have it all together. You have no idea how one moment may change someone's life. When you just listen to someone who's hurting and you offer to pray. Oh, that's a, what if they say no? Hey, you have no idea. You just offer to pray. Maybe they say no, but you offer to pray in that moment. When you text somebody a Bible verse, hey, I read this this morning. I was kind of thinking of you and, and you text it to them. You have no idea how that one moment can make a difference in their life. When you simply invite someone to church, maybe they come with you, maybe they don't. You have no idea how God can use that one moment, that one conversation. When you share something on your social media, when you post a Bible verse or share a sermon clip, who has God placed in front of you? As we close out the story today, I wanna to just invite you to close your eyes and to bow your heads. You can stay seated if you want. But I want you to think about this for just a minute. Who has God placed in front of you? I think for most of us in the room, it's a coworker. That's probably who it is for many of us. Who's that coworker that you maybe feel is a problem or that's the person you're not supposed to hang around or they've been aggravating you, but Jesus sees their potential. Who has God placed in front of you? Maybe it's a neighbor. It could even be a family member. You know, sometimes it's tricky with family and you have to navigate that, but I trust that the Holy Spirit has already been working on your heart. As we have talked about who, uh, that I'm influential and God wants to use you as an influence. Who is that person that God has placed in front of you? Maybe it's a friend that you used to go to college with, you used to connect, you talk every now and then. Jesus wants you to use your influence for the gospel. And I'm telling you, you will discover and unlock your purpose when you live for the cause of the gospel. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Jesus, that you have given us the living water, Lord God, that we can live with purpose and satisfaction knowing who you are. We don't have to go it alone in this life, God. And Holy Spirit, I ask, that you would bring to mind now people who you are calling us to be influential, Lord, just like where I'm invited to the family of God, I'm invaluable to you and to the body of Christ. Now, God, I'm influential. You want to use me to make a difference, Lord. I pray that there would be conversations this week, that there would be divine appointments this week, just like in the story with this woman at the well, God, that maybe we don't have to go that way, but like Scripture says, you had to go that way. There was a divine appointment, Lord. Help us to use our influence for the gospel, that we would see people, potential, and purpose, because it's all about you, Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed still, just before we close out, I'm going to invite Pastor Jamal up in just a minute, but I do want to give this one opportunity. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity to invite him into your life today.